Amen. And wow, there is something special that happens when the people of God sing about the faithfulness of God. And sometimes I find myself slow to believe the promises of God, that every single one of those is yes and amen. And I need to hear that over and over and over again. And I need to see you proclaim the faithfulness of God, that his promises are yes and amen. Um, There is a Interesting thing that's happening as we move on in Revelation chapter 5, and by the way, this completes at least part one of a Revelation series today. We'll move into some kind of Advent theme next week. Y'all can pray that the Spirit will lead us to those passages. I am tearing and I'm either deaf and can't hear very well, or uh, I, I don't yet know what those texts are. But what I've discovered about the Lord is that he is seldom early, but never late. One thing that I do want to highlight before we dive into Revelation 5, though, is that we live within this unique time between the advents. That Jesus has come and has lived and died and rose and ascended And now he has promised us that he is coming again, the second advent. So since we are in this in-between time, he has come, the kingdom has been ushered in, but not fully yet until he comes a second time. How then should we live during this time in between the advents? More to come next week hopefully before next week, on that topic. Where we are in Revelation chapter 5 is actually the same theme as Revelation 4. If you remember from last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, a little bit of quick review. John is actually seeing an open door. And we mentioned that the church in Laodicea closed their door to Jesus And even though Laodicea closed their door, Jesus knocks on the door. And guys, I I love how Nick highlighted, you know, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, anyone who asks, you know, anyone who seeks, anyone who knocks. Guys, some of those promises of God, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. So, What we get opportunity to do today is some of you are in this seeking mode and you're pumped and excited and can't wait to hear what God has for you today. And others of you are still recovering from what I'll call the turkey coma. I know it's Thursday, but sometimes what's interesting is if you've got a lot of family and friends, feasting is kind of like a three or four or five day affair. Uh, We went to a restaurant to celebrate another family gathering, and I confessed to a couple of people, I think I ate more yesterday than I ate on Thursday. Guys, if you're in that turkey coma, ask God to wake you up out of it, 
to see him, to hear him. And then guys, the other thing, I don't know about you, but if, like a lot of us are influenced by the weather. Let's just face it. It's a little bit of a crummy day outside. It's cold, it's a cold rain, there's clouds, there's overcast. And yet there's a door that's open into heaven. There's a window. And John got to experience it. He got to taste and see it. And then he got to write it down. And he writes it down for you and I to benefit from this picture of all that's going on in heaven. So last week, we got to see that John only experienced this when he was caught up in the spirit. And we talked a lot last week about the importance of needing to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit of God to experience all that God has for us. And that it's our goal and our hope not to leave any of those gifts on the table because any time that we leave any gift that God wants to give to his people on the table, we miss out on something that God would experience. Best way to say it, John Calvin said one time that, uh, and I have glasses, they're gradually getting stronger in prescription because I'm a little past that 30-year-old mark. Don't worry, Nick, I promise you're okay at 30. All's going to be good for at least another 10 years. Right? Anyway, I don't know. And then some of you go, wait, wait, we'll stop the whole age conversation completely. But what I have found is I need these to see from far away. Like I take these off and your all's faces are really fuzzy right now. And then I put them on and go, oh, cool, facial expressions. Some of which when you're preaching are very encouraging and some of which when you're preaching, maybe not so much. Anyway, that the Holy Spirit serves as glasses for the people of God. That at best, we see partially. We do not have 20-20 vision apart from the Holy Spirit. And I can read black ink on white paper in my flesh, apart from asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate truth to me. And all I get is words. Um, you know what's interesting too? There are a handful of books that I was required to read in high school English class that I hated because it was assigned by a teacher. And then years later, I found myself picking up those books and going, man, this is a really good book. Why did I hate it the first time around? Guys, you may go through the motions of reading. You may end up having a personality of being very disciplined to spend time in the word. I read those books in English class and I learned what I needed to learn to get an A or B on the test. But the book didn't change me and I didn't delight in it. I was reading for the purpose of information and not transformation. It was duty, not delight. And God calls us as we open the word to open it and say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. That sometimes I lose that loving feeling and I'm not always eager to come to your word 
It's really interesting if you serve in some capacity in, in children's ministry or um, in a community group or dare say it, a, a preacher where you're assigned to a certain text. It goes back to the English teaching thing if you're not careful. And you go, wait, Holy Spirit, show me marvelous things in your word. I know they're there, but I need you sometimes to take those zapper things. Sorry, people with a medical background. I forgot the name, but when your heart's about to stop, I need you to shock me back that all of your promises are yes and amen. And we do that caught up in the spirit of God. So you have the Lord sitting on the throne in the center you have four living creatures, some kind of cherubim type of angel. And remember, one looks like a lion, one looks like an ox, one looks like a man, one looks like an eagle. And they open their wings. They've got six wings. There's eyes all over the place. They see all, they worship. And then around that is 24 thrones. They're called the elders. I tend to think that they're the redeemed people of God from every age and generation. And they have crowns because they have conquered by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And at the end of chapter four, they cast their crowns down at the one who is the Lord. And now we see another scene after all of this miraculous stuff that John's doing his best to describe, but it's indescribable. Revelation chapter five, beginning with verse one We'll read the whole chapter. There is a lot here. Um, We're going to highlight about three or four things today. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one. In heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I'm actually going to stop there and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of this family, this church family. Increase our faith, God, and remind us, apart from you, we can do nothing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I was going to keep reading, and I'm like, I think it's better to go section by section here. You have the Lord seated on the throne and he is handing out a scroll. The book version would be, we have books, they have scrolls. It's got seven seals. The seventh seal is, it is an official document and it has to be opened by someone who has official legal rights in it. And the opening of this book is not just the hearing of the story or the reading of the story. The opening of this book actually causes history. The things that are in this book will actually happen. Can't remember the name of the movie, 
but Adam Sandler plays in it, and it's like bedtime stories or something. And he tells these stories of all of these things that happen, and like then the next day, like gumballs are actually falling from the sky, and all of these things that he's writing about are actually happening in real time. This is a different kind of real-time thing, but this scroll is held out, and a mighty angel says, who is worthy to open it? Heard somebody say that uh, the amplification of this angel is extremely strong because people in heaven and on earth and under the earth are able to hear this challenge. And John looks around. And after the question, there is nothing. There is Silence, there is no one. And John begins to weep loudly. He's been given this picture and this vision of heaven. And here in heaven, John is actually weeping. Why? Why is John weeping? Why is John crying? You know that song we just sang? All God's promises are yes and amen. Those promises only come true if someone is able to open the scroll. John has been given a picture of all these things that are gonna happen, but if the scroll is not opened, if one is not found worthy to open the scroll, we are not redeemed The earth is not restored. God does not dwell with man again. So there's a lot on the line with this weeping. And guys, we live in this time between the advents and last time I checked. Not everything always goes the way you hoped it would. This side of heaven. Give you just a few examples. You can read the news, you can watch the news. I'm thankful that hostages look like they're being reunited with their families. But how in the world do we live in a world where war and hostages are even a thing? How in the world do we live in a world where we have diseases such as cancer that have no known cure? How in the world do we live in a world where bitterness and revenge and hate and gossip and greed are present? This world is not what it's supposed to be. And what's funny is we have a smiley picture, image of Christianity And if it's all smile and no lament and no weeping, is it accurate? There is a temptation on the part of every single human being to try to create heaven here and now. But the truth is, there is some glimpses of heaven here and now, and there is some heartache here and now. 
But maybe the best question is we hear John weep loudly, and it's almost this prayer that I have that we would actually hear the apostle weep today. What makes you weep? When was the last time you wept? Let me clarify something here. Weeping does not mean you have to always have tears come down your eyes. There can be a sadness in your heart and a sadness in your soul that is heavy. What makes you weep today? What made John weep? The main thing that made John weep was the prospect that God's kingdom would not come to fruition. Um, Clark and Jesse Bates are with us with their kids today. They live on the other side of the pond in England right now. I did not say I was going to give them a shout out, but uh, we love and appreciate you guys and your family. And they're finishing up, Clark's finishing up a PhD and they're discerning and praying through a call to, to be missionaries in Italy after that. Is that okay? Does I already said it, so I'm really sorry if it's not okay. Um, I had an opportunity to visit a little bit with Clark yesterday, and he talked about that the, the country of Italy is, is not as Christian as a lot of people think, that there are a lot of people who don't know Christ in Italy in a personal, life-changing way. And, and he mentioned that the prospect of seeing human beings that don't have opportunity to hear the gospel in a way that is understandable or embrace or see Jesus or have that light come on that the Holy Spirit does, that that prospect of that causes him to weep. And, you know, I'm sitting there listening and I'm inspired and I'm encouraged and then I'm thinking, yeah, and I throw a fit when McDonald's isn't fast enough. <laughs> Not to say that that makes me weep, but it did put things in a perspective for me yesterday as I heard that to where there's this realization and reality that there is a lot on the line here for us as human beings, eternal human beings. A pastor once said, and I overheard and heard it and it stuck, which is good news. Sometimes some things that pastors say actually stick because this happened when I was like 13. There are only three things in the world that are eternal. God, his word, and people. That every single human being that you lock eyes with will live for all of eternity. But they will live there in one of two places. Either with God in heaven or they will be judged according to their deeds. And the just, right consequence of their deeds will lead them to hell. And say, well, wait, like, aren't there a lot of nice people out there? Like, that just seems really, really harsh. 
Guys, God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And the only way I know how to say it is imagine yourself in a hot air balloon and you decided that you didn't like the air in the balloon and you found a way to turn it off. Another way, you're in a boat and you decide you want to remodel the boat and you put a hole in your own boat and you're drowning or you're falling from the sky and Jesus has come and said, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to snatch you up. I'm going to help you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you so that you don't experience the right consequences of your sins and your actions. And you stiff arm the rescuer and say, no, I got this. Or no, I believe you have some kind of ulterior motive, Jesus. I'm not going to let you rescue me. Or Nope, I got it. You think it's a big hole in the boat. It's really small. I can figure out how to fix it myself. John wept because number one, he knew if this scroll wasn't open, people aren't saved and redeemed. John also wept because he knew that justice would not be done if the scroll was not open. Now, this is a little tricky, but if we go on with Revelation, you're gonna actually see that there are consequences for sins and for actions. And, and the best way I know how to say this is if you're watching a TV show or a movie with a really bad villain, like a really, really bad guy, there are moments, if this movie has done well, where you can put yourself in the movie and go, man, if I was there, I would take that person out. There is a really real bad villain in this world. The father of lies, Satan, the deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus is going to take him out. But in this moment, no one can open the seal. There is no one righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 tells us. So you can't open it. I can't open it. Uh, Captain America can't open it. Iron Man can't open it. Spider-Man can't open it. If you're one, Brian, Brian's got them all on his shirt. Good job, Brian. But those guys can't open the seal. And guys, we feel that desperation sometimes. We can't open it. We can't do it. And it's possible that some of you have had those dark nights of the soul where you look and go, I can't put one foot in front of the other right now. I got nothing. That's where John's at. And guys, there is, a, it's called a severe mercy, a severe grace when God gets us to that point. But when God gets me to that point, I've got nothing. Holy Spirit comes in says, you're right, you don't, but I've got something, and I've got you. So if we read on verse 6, it's one of my favorite verses in this chapter. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, hold on, sorry, did I skip a verse? Yes, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more, 
Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So in the midst of this scene, there's an elder, one of these 24, that's looking out and he sees a lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he points, but he also speaks and says, weep no more. This one, he's got it. Somebody in one of the sermons that I listened to on this is, everybody needs a friend like this elder. Everyone needs a friend who you can go to and say, I got nothing, and you're weeping, and it's messy tears, and it's, it's ugly. You're a hot mess. And that friend lets you be a hot mess, but then turns and says, but look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, he is able. We'll read the rest of the chapter now. Verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the earth and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I'm going to pray one more time. Father, give us this picture. Help us to see this. Help us to know your love experientially and help us to share it with others. Help us to see the lion that is the lamb standing, slain, yet alive redeeming a people for God. We are that people, God. Help us to walk with you. Help us to worship you. Help us to sing new songs to you. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have the scroll. We have the challenge. We talked about those two. We have the silence of no one can open it. We have the um, 
weeping, the tears. And now we have the lion that is the lamb. There is a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation and certain parts are hard to understand. Does the lion become a lamb or is the lion also the lamb and how does that work? Real quick, if you notice, and some of you guys may know this, the, you will know this, the animal for America is the eagle. Anybody know, uh, okay, I put anybody on the spot, but how about the UK? How about England? Anybody know the, the lion? I learned this one, France. Anybody know France? It's the tiger, apparently. They're, uh, they don't have good leadership over here, but anybody know the animal for Russia? The bear. Why do you think these nations have chosen animals like the eagle, the lion, the bear, the tiger? Power. Strength. And now you have the lion from the tribe of Judah. But when John sees him, he sees a lamb standing. That this is the one who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to be the lead, you must learn how to serve If you want to be first, you must become last. It is when you lay down your life that you live. It's when you lose your life that you gain it. That there is this upside down thing in the way that the kingdom of God works that is not brute force, but it is an emptying of yourself and selfishness so that God's spirit can fill you. And not only that, Lambs in the Old Testament were slaughtered and slain so that God's people could experience forgiveness. That Jesus came on this rescue mission to die on the cross in your place and in mine. And I understand right now, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. But do you know that you know that you know? Do you know that that cross could have been, would have been, and should have been you? And the lamb took your place. Not only is this a lamb that stands, but it's a lamb that has been slain, but is still alive. Guys, uh, it's been a while, but if you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's brutal and bloody and hard to see. And if it wasn't for that little 10 or 15 second glimpse at the very end of Jesus kind of coming out of the tomb, I think it would be too much. That if Jesus died a martyr's death on the cross and doesn't rise from the dead, we are still dead in our sins, Paul says. That the cross and the resurrection are crucial foundational points that give us hope and prove that Jesus is who he says he is. So he's standing and he's slain and then a lamb with seven horns. Seven horns highlight strength. 
their honor, they're a kingly establishment. So even though he's a sheep here, a lamb, he's got seven horns, he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful, he can do what no one else can do. And then seven eyes, he sees all, he knows all, he's omniscient. And he comes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And the moment that he takes it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down. If you pay attention to angels throughout the entire Bible, encountering an angel was a scary event for a person. And the moment that a person comes face to face with an angel, they fall down. And you know what happens? The angel says, what are you doing on the ground? Get up, don't worship me, worship God. But here, this lamb, there is a lying down, there is a face down worship of the lamb. They are giving him the same worship that God alone deserves and is worthy of. And not only are they falling down, but they're each holding a harp. And initially, I went, oh no. So that's why we have all these cheesy pictures in art museums of these chubby cherubim angels floating on clouds holding harps that's where they got it and I did a little bit of background and then D. Ernie's actually seen these things I talked to him about it earlier today that the harp back in Old Testament times would have been more equivalent to a guitar or a mandolin or a banjo that this is something you can hold. It's not the big harp that we have here. That it is a musical instrument that is for joy and celebration and excitement. So that these elders that are falling face down and they're holding the harp. I don't know if you've noticed this, but even adults that can't really play an instrument... If you put an instrument in their hand, they can hardly help themselves. They'll begin to tinker with it. They'll begin to make it make noise and they'll just kind of keep playing until maybe something might come out. I think these elders that are holding these harps actually are very, very gifted musicians, but they're singing and they're composing music and playing music for the worship of God. And then it says that they're holding Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I shared last week that one thing that God has convinced me of for this coming day, and God willing every day afterwards, is that God has called me to be a prayer-dependent person that will lead a prayer-dependent people to seek the king and kingdom first. Now, that's very general in some ways, but it's also very specific in others. I am not always prayer dependent. You know what happens when I'm not? I think my prayers are hitting the ceiling. I think God doesn't hear my prayers. Or worse, the enemy convinces me that maybe God doesn't care about my prayers. You know how much God cares about your prayers and my prayers? They're held in golden bowls. And they're incense. They smell good 
to God. I can think of some really nice poetic prayers I've prayed when I'm high and wafty. And I can think of some really ugly prayers I've prayed when I've hit rock bottom. You know what I've discovered? The best prayer is the prayer that is true to your heart. And the enemy has convinced us when it comes to things like corporate prayer meetings. Oh, I don't know if I should pray out loud because what if I do it wrong? You can't do it right. Guys didn't expect that word, did you? Jesus intercedes for you and me, making our bubbling, mumbling prayers acceptable before the throne of God. So just acknowledge and admit you can't pray right, but Jesus has got your back. And any human that would somehow critique your prayer, of which I've been arrogant enough to do a time or two for people, has missed the point altogether. So what's on your prayer list? And can I highlight some things? The things that are usually most near and dear to your heart are the things that you pray for. And he goes, man, I don't have a prayer list. I better get out a journal and a notebook. You know how many journals I've bought that are like 20% or 10% written in? It's like each time I have new resolve, for some reason, I always have to go and buy a new journal. You know what's true? You have a prayer list. It's written on your heart. And it's in your mind. And it's when the Holy Spirit comes and says, you're getting glimpses of the king and the kingdom. And you want those closest to you to get glimpses of the king and the kingdom. And you pray for them to see Jesus high and lifted up. You ask God to help you see Jesus high and lifted up. And every prayer you pray, Jesus takes and puts it in a golden bowl, and it's not forgotten. He's got you. So it's an invitation to ask and seek and knock, knowing that it will get there. Think about things like technology today. We have emails and we have text messages, and if you're really, really brave, you have like red receipts on there. So like when you, people receive a text, it says red after that. I'm not that brave. I don't do that. But you, you do get this word that says delivered. And sometimes if you've got bad self-service, it says undelivered. Every prayer you pray to God in the name of Jesus is delivered and it's put in a golden bowl of incense. Don't stop praying. It gets there and it matters and they're holding these prayers. So the prayers of the saints and then they sang a new song 
I don't know if, if Nick and the worship team was, was, was dug into this text. If they were, awesome. You got it. If not, I love the way God sovereignly works that this new song, I used to make up songs when I was a kid. And they were really good, but I never shared them with anybody. But it was what was on my heart in that moment at that time. And God invites you and I to new things and to create new things. But this new song for them is an old song for us. Look at what it says. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What we see here, first of all, he redeemed, ransomed people for God. God does not want you to be saved just so you stop sinning. He wants you to be saved so that you see the Savior. And when you see the Savior, sinning will take care of of itself the more that you see the Savior. And then from every tribe and language and people and nation, this does not say everyone, but it says people from every tribe and tongue and nation. There is no racism or prejudice ever found in the Bible. There is no elitism ever found in the Bible. And actually, I would say that the church in any culture that only hears from Christians in that culture has blind spots. Because you know what happens? Whatever your culture is, you will marry, ours happens to be America here, American dream with biblical gospel. And guess what, guys? God does not believe in divorce, but he does want those two things to be divorced from one another. The American dream and the biblical gospel are different from one another. I've got friends in Africa, and they talk about having great pride in what tribe in Africa they come from. So that churches are even set up where this tribe, you're welcome here. If you're part of that tribe, you welcome there. And then you had, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said that the most segregated hour in America is Sunday morning during the worship hour. God help us. God help the spirit of God flow through us to where we see from every tribe and tongue and nation a people that are united by the blood of Jesus who worship together in spirit and in truth because that's gonna be heaven. Then he looks around, he sees the living creatures, the voice of many angels numbering myriads upon myriads. Lorian did his homework again, two weeks in a row. Good job. He's given all kinds of great input. He looked up myriads. One myriad is ten, a unit of 10,000. Myriads upon myriads. And then in case 10,000s upon 10,000s isn't enough, you have thousands upon thousands. Angels we have heard on high. Wow. And they long to worship the king. They live for it. They were created for it. And you and I were created for it too. So then they're giving their lamb, their 
receiving power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. They're amazed by Jesus. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, creatures, animals, blades of grass, stars in the sky, mountains, fields of wild flowers. Not only are they worshiping, but it says all that is in them worships. It's not half-hearted. It's all that's within them. And then finally, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And they fell down and worshiped. Guys, I shared last week, and it happened again this week. God, I, I, I want to get there. <laughs> I don't know how to get there apart from your Holy Spirit, but would you please help me? Help me aim for that kind of worship. I want to highlight two things as we move into a meal, a communion meal. Number one, I don't believe we can get there apart from the Holy Spirit. And number two, I don't believe that you can get there apart from the people of God. You need the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. Because when John is weeping, he is pointing. As the elder is pointing, right? The elder says, weep no more. You don't have to weep because look, Jesus. Um, there's a reason why Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. Because when one lost the way, when one got discouraged, the other one said, hey, weep no more. The king, the lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. We need each other. Um, one other conversation I had this week is that life is a marathon. And uh, I am tempted often to uh, treat it like a sprint because I like to run fast until my legs tell me I can't run fast anymore. I'm not very good at pacing. Um, and guys, throughout life, there's gonna be people that are going to uh, partner up with you on certain seasons of life in this race, this marathon that we run. And some people you're gonna run a few days with and some people you're gonna run a few months with and some people you're gonna run a few years with and then some people you may run a few decades with but there's always gonna be people that are gonna come in and out of your life. And sometimes when some of those people disappear or aren't there anymore, it's a heartbreaking experience. And sometimes we experience them just moving away geographically. Sometimes there's a misunderstanding that causes part, parting of ways. And sometimes there's death in this earthly life. It will cease one day. The thing that dawned on me as I was looking and thinking about this metaphor of the marathon is 
There is one who partners up, pairs up with you and me. And he is there every single second of our lives. And his name is Jesus. You see, the author of Hebrews said, let us run this race with perseverance, looking to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And the amazing thing about him is that he never, ever ceases to run that race. And there are gonna be times where you're gonna throw in the towel and you're gonna be tempted to quit and you're gonna need a rest. You know, I've discovered I'm so doggone competitive that if somebody that I'm supposed to run a race with needs to stop or slow down or rest, I'm tempted to tell them, I'll see you at the finish line. And I take off. And I drop people. And people drop me. And Jesus says, hey, with me, it's no drop zone here. This is a no drop race. I'm not dropping you. And in fact, the thing that you were supposed to do, the death that you were supposed to die, I'm pushing you out of the way and I'm putting myself on the cross because you can't bear the weight of your sin and you aren't righteous, but I am and I will take your place. But I'm forgetful. The first song, come thou fount of every blessing, Uh, I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, take and seal it for your throne above. And Jesus' followers were forgetful too. I'm gonna invite those that are gonna come and help serve communion uh, to come at this time. And not sure if you got a text, but John Davis, if you could come and help, that'd be great too. In his defense, the the text came during the first song. Here's the thing. There is a savior. There is one who will actually make our biggest, deepest dreams come true. So if you've experienced heartbreak and brokenness and loss in this life, if you have lost loved ones, If you are sick physically or mentally or emotionally or spiritually, he's here and he says, I will make you whole. I will give you shalom peace and I will never drop you because I am the lamb and I am center and throne with my father and I stand and I am omnipotent and omniscient. I know all and I have all power and I will give you the strength you need to finish this race. But he did it in a unique way on the night that his best friends were around him. On the night that he was betrayed by Judas, on the night that his friends deserted him and dropped him, he said, I'm not gonna drop you. No one's going to this cross with me. I go by myself but I go in the power of my father. He took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. He also took the cup. So this is my blood shed for you. 
And as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Sometimes I'm afraid that we forget Jesus is coming again. Well, we'll get to hear about that a lot these next four weeks. He's coming again. And until that day, may this meal bring you spiritual strength and help and hope. May it be a means of grace for you to worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you have cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, help me, save me, forgive me, this meal is for you. And I invite you to come and to take it in faith, knowing every prayer you pray makes it to that golden bowl and is incense, a sweet smell for your Father in heaven.
anyone worthy he is we have opportunity to respond with one more song it's a song titled gratitude as we wrap up the end of this thanksgiving weekend just want to ask you to ask the lord to give you this sense of him beside you He intends for you to experience his hug and his embrace and his love and his mercy. And, uh, you know, there are some people that are really good at giving hugs and other people that it's kind of awkward. And Jesus can give you a hug that will fill you with his peace and his joy. And at the end of that hug, at the end of that experience, at that end of encounter, all you do is say, Jesus, thank you. I love you. And he looks you in the eyes, whatever that is, spiritual eyes. The eyes that John knew when they walked together on earth. And he locks eyes with you and says, I love you. And I am the lamb who died for you, who rose the lamb who stands, the lamb who breaks the seal so that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and God will be our God and we will be his people and he will dwell in our midst and he will wipe every tear from our eye and every wrong will be righted and we will be with him forever. Stand and sing the song of gratitude and however you want to express that, if you want to go to a brother or sister that has
at times pointed you to the lamb that you sometimes lose sight of and just say, thank you, do that. If you wanna come forward and just kneel and pray or stand and sing and dance or whatever, whatever it is that the Lord leads you to do as we express our thanks to him during this time.
some kind of seal today. <laughs> and I think we would be amiss not to acknowledge that and not to thank him for meeting us and ministering to us and encouraging us with his love. You know, part of prayer is praise. And our praise and prayers, they make it to those golden bowls of incense. Not only does it smell good for our Heavenly Father, it smells good for our neighbors and our coworkers and our community. And there are people outside here, just like there are people inside here, we're all hurting. And the only one who can heal us is Jesus. The difference is we know who that physician is and we have access to him 24 seven. Not everybody does. So may we this week be aware of the fact there are people who need to know. There are people who are weeping and hurting and they need to see the lion from the tribe of Judah who is the lamb that's slain, worthy to open the seal and to bring salvation and healing and deliverance and hope. So may we go with that truth and may we receive this benediction. And now God to you, the one who always does abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. May your son Jesus, the one that's worthy to open the seal be glorified and made much of and receive honor and, and power and glory in our hearts, in our lives, in our faith family, and in our community and throughout the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May you go with God's grace and peace.